If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know how I like to talk about a gut biome test. I call it a fancy poop test. It's a fancy name for a poop test. And it's going to tell us what the ecosystem is in your gut. And why that's important is since food's the best medicine, it's going to tell us, here are your superfoods just for you to eat. Here are the foods for you to avoid. And here's everything else. Eat this a lot. Eat this a little. Now, my team has been very busy and they got an amazing deal. For anybody that wants to do this test, you can do it at home. You don't need a doctor's orders. All you have to do is just go to Viome, V as in Victor, I-O-M as in Mary, E.com, Viome.com. And at checkout, use the secret code, Julie Ryan, and you'll get more than 50% off. Don't put any spaces in there, just Julie Ryan. It's an amazing test. It's going to give you tons of information. I've done it several times myself, and you're going to be thrilled with the information you get because it'll give you a program just for you. Give it a whirl. Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could be with us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all over the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And do I have a treat for you all this week? We have Elizabeth Boisson. Doesn't she sound fancy with that name? Elizabeth has joined us from Arizona. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome. Hey, it's nice to see you, Julie, and I'm so happy to be here. Oh, my pleasure. My gosh, you guys are in for a treat because Elizabeth is truly one of the most extraordinary women I've ever met. You are. I haven't told you that until now. I thought I'd save it for this, but you are. You are just so extraordinary in a multitude of ways. And they talk about Renaissance men. I think you're a Renaissance woman because what I know about you is you've continued to reinvent yourself and you're re- reinventing yourself in ways that are helping people throughout the world. So what a delight to get to know you. And, and that's why I wanted every all my listeners to get to know you. Well, thank you. I'm so grateful to be here and back at you about that Renaissance woman. (laughs) (laughs) Takes one to know one, right? Yes. Something like that. Well, everybody, Elizabeth founded this organization called Helping Parents Heal, which is really something that's not only special to the parents who've lost a child, but it's special in that in the grief community, you are including all kinds of spiritual what I would consider to be woo-woo things, into your platform. So please tell everybody just a little bit about Helping Parents Heal, and then we'll we'll cover lots of other topics and wrap around back. But I just want to give everybody a frame of reference about the Helping Parents Heal. 
Thank you. I would love to talk about helping parents heal. Um, we're different from other bereavement groups because we truly believe that it's possible to heal after the passing of a child. And we believe that our kids help us to move forward and heal. And we're completely non-dogmatic. We have people who don't believe in any religion, and we have people who are very religious in our organization as well. The most most important part of being a part of Helping Parents Seal is that we know that there's a connection with our kids and we also um, respect everyone who's in the group and we know that it's possible to move forward and heal. And I think that a lot of bereavement groups will tell you that you're never, ever going to heal from the passing of a child or a loved one. But we're here to say that not only can we heal, but we can thrive. And we know that the reason that we are able to is because our kids, our loved ones um, in spirit are helping us every step of the way. And you not only have one child in spirit, you have two children in spirit, which makes you all the much more amazing that you've been able to do this. And look at that smile. My goodness, you are you, I'm sure, have days when you're down about whatever, but every time I've been in contact with you, you just exude joy. Well, thank you. And today it's a little harder than most days just because I just recently broke my wrist, as you know, but I have Julie helping me with um, healing. I'll be operated on on Tuesday but one of the things that having Morgan and having Chelsea transition um, is that nothing in life can ever be as devastating as having a child pass. And so every day I wake up with enormous gratitude that I'm still here, that I'm still able to honor them. And more importantly, that I can still honor all of these incredible kids in spirit who are pushing me every step of the way to do things for their parents and to be able to allow um, all of us to know that they are still right here. Did you grow up in a spiritual home? I know you're a, you're an international woman of mystery. I know you've grown up and you, your childhood was spent in lots of different countries on different continents. So did you come from a spiritual home and tell us a little bit about your childhood, because it just sounds like it was the adventure the whole time, quite the adventure. Well, I was very fortunate that my dad worked as a university professor um, all over the United States, but then decided to go to India when I was in junior high school. And we spent many years there. He was working for WHO and he was working for USAID. And um, I got to experience India at a time that was one of the easiest in terms of being able to travel all over the country, being able to experience all of these incredible people, the colors, the, the religions. There are a lot of different Eastern religions, um, obviously, that are represented in India. And um, I felt an enormous affinity to all of them, mostly just the idea of compassion and the idea that we don't, we don't die. We continue um, in the spiritual realm when we pass. And 
Um, I thought that it was fascinating in India when you attend a funeral, um, the person who is going to, um, the, the person at the funeral is dressed in white. Everyone else is dressed in white um, because it's a rite of passage that's actually very beautiful. They know that um, all of their loved ones who have passed are going home. And it's interesting because weddings, uh, for weddings, the women wear red and a beautiful color red. So there's there's different significances to the the ceremonies that they have over there. And again, I felt an enormous affinity. I felt an affinity to the Buddhist monks that were there as well and um, spent a long time traveling. But one of the things that happened when I was overseas was that I started yoga very early on. I became a vegetarian because that's all that there was to eat, really. People don't eat a lot of meat in India. And then um, I began transcendental meditation, which is not something that people say these days. They call it meditation. But that kind of started my spiritual journey a little bit earlier than maybe other people are able to do. Were you raised in a religion as a child? Did your family go to church or was it something that maybe wasn't really stressed in your family? So it was easy for you to absorb the non-spiritual thing. The reason I ask is I think people that are raised in a, a very strict upbringing with religion and this is the way it needs to be. And this, these are the teachings and these are the only teachings. They sometimes have a little bit of trepidation when they're exploring other things like meditation and, and other philosophies. Did you experience that or, or was it kind of open in your family the whole time? It was very open. I came from a family, actually my mom's side of the family had a lot of ministers in her family. They came over from England. My dad's side of the family was all French and they were much more questioning and not necessarily interested in spending Sundays in church. And so I I kind of um, figured out my own way. I would attend Catholic masses with friends uh, in high school and in college, or I would go to an Episcopalian mass as well and just kind of see what what things were like in college. I went to the Newman Center several times, which is Catholic, but a little bit more um, uh, liberal and, and forethinking maybe than some of the masses as well. And of course, I went to many Buddhist ceremonies, um, especially in India and um, Hindu weddings and uh, cremations and things like that. So I feel very, very fortunate that my parents didn't force me to view the world in a certain way and then expect me to um, to adhere to that. And I now know that all of these religions are all about, first of all, all about love, but they all um, are about this this God that is an all-knowing, all-loving um entity i believe that that god is inside each one of us that that is a part of us that god and um i believe that our 
that what we're supposed to be doing here on earth is helping each other and loving each other. And I believe that, um, that all of, <clears throat> all of the people who have transitioned are already home. All of our kids, all of our loved ones, we're still in school. So we have a lot to learn. We need to be here learning everything that we can. Some of the most difficult lessons that we learn are the things that actually transform us into better people. And I can say that having tra uh, Chelsea transition when she was two, two days old and then Morgan transition when he was almost 21 were the most devastating things that have ever happened to me in my life. But they are also the reason that I know that there's more. I know that love lives forever. I know that they're, they're still with me every day. And that they'll be there to greet me when I one day transition. How do you know they're with you every day? Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> right when you said that, I felt Morgan hug me. <clears throat> I'm sorry about a hoarse voice. Morgan has done this from day one. Um, he gives me the biggest bear hugs. And the bear hugs that he gives me give me a warm feeling all the way up through my body, but also goosebumps. And so in the very beginning, when I was sad, obviously everyone's very, very sad when their child transitions, I would be out in the yard and I'd be telling Morgan, I don't think I can do this. I think that this is just, it's, it's not going to work this way, Morgan. I just can't, I can't, stand living without you, I would feel him hug me and I would hear him in my ear saying, mom, I'm right here. And every time that I need that, he does the same thing. And um, Chelsea is a little different. She's been with me all the time. The reason that I survived Chelsea's passing and she passed um, at two days of age um, but I'd been in the hospital for two months on an IV. And so getting home to Morgan, who I had not been able to see for two months, was life-saving for me. Even though I was leaving the hospital without Chelsea, it was such a huge thing to be able to finally be with my boy again. And he saved my life. And um but at the same time, from then on, I had one foot with Chelsea and one foot here. So I just started living my life as though this was almost a um, either a dry run or almost a play. It, it, it lost a lot of its importance. Not that I didn't do the things that I thought I should be doing but I was never overly concerned about them. I was always very concerned about Morgan. Um, I always knew something was gonna happen to Morgan. And I uh, knew this from the day that he was born. 
I was a helicopter mom as he was growing up. Um, I was always worried. He was traveling all over the world. He traveled to Paris and studied there. He was studying in China the first time, and then he went back again the second time. And I always knew, and he always told me that he wasn't going to be here for long. And so um, that was very scary. But at the same time, um, when he did transition, when he did um, end up passing of severe altitude sickness at the base camp of Mount Everest, I think that for me, it, it was something that was so much easier because I'd been told this for such a long time and I was listening. I was, I was understanding, okay, he's not going to be with me for very long. I've got to do as much as I can with him, be as be with him as much as possible. And, um, and I am very grateful for every moment that I was able to spend with Morgan. For those of you that are watching on YouTube, there's a screen behind Elizabeth. Elizabeth, please describe to everybody that can't see it what's behind you and the significance of it, if you will. Thank you. This is the last picture that Morgan took um, before he passed. Uh, they had made it to base camp, and these are prayer flags that are all along the side and Mount Everest and Mount Everest is apparently one of the most holy places on earth. And I've been told by a Buddhist monk that when you transition on Mount Everest, you immediately go to Nirvana, which I think is beautiful. I certainly won't know until I get, I get over there, whether or not that's true, but I think it's a beautiful thing. And that's, I've heard you say that that was the first time you felt that hug from him. Yes. I'd love to maybe talk a little bit about that hug. If that would be great. First one. I just wanted to ask you, I have a screen showing in front of me and I hope that it's not blocking any of the view. You don't see it though. Oh, okay. I got I it. I got rid of it. Um, anyway, uh, Morgan had gone on this exchange program to Nanjing, China, and he wanted to go to Hong Kong to see a bunch of his friends who had been there two years before because he had studied in Nanjing at the time. And he was in college at the time, right? He was, he was a senior. And um, my husband and I were worried about it because the Chinese visa situation is always a little bit tenuous, meaning that if he had gone to Hong Kong, he um, he had a multiple entry visa, but sometimes they don't allow you to. So um, there's a, a lot of different factors that enter into that. So because of that, um, we said we'd really prefer that you stay in China and so, or in mainland China. So then he came back to us and he said, oh, whole bunch of students are doing a trip to Tibet and um, two professors are going along. Would you is that something that I can do? And I just thought that was wonderful. If the two professors were going to go, I knew that it would be fine. And so they flew to Lhasa, 11,000 feet, and then they immediately the next day started making their way up to the base camp of Mount Everest. And uh, they, when they got there, actually, 
going up the mountain, the kids who were in the bus were getting sick. They, um, they were actually urinating on themselves because that's a sign of altitude sickness. They were um, feeling dizzy. They had headaches. All of these signs are of altitude sickness, but nobody was um, cognizant enough to understand what was happening. They had a Chinese tour guide who was pushing them up the mountain. He wanted to get up the mountain before nightfall. And so when they got to the base camp, um, Morgan, his head was just exploding. It was hurting so badly. He didn't have anything that he could really take either, but he said he was going to bed early. Um, they were set up in a bunch of yurts, which are like tents and they were all open. And so Morgan was getting up and wandering around during the night, calling people by the wrong name. And in the morning at nine in the morning, he was foaming at the mouth and they couldn't wake him up. And so um, at that time, one of the kids called his mother, who's a medical doctor, and she said, get him down in altitude as quickly as possible. So all 13 kids uh, picked up Morgan, who is and was six foot six, uh, 280 pounds, big kid, got him onto the bus, um, and then started down the mountain. In the meantime, the director of the program um, called me and said that there was a problem with Morgan and gave me the number of Morgan's um, roommate and said, if you'd like, you can call him. And by the time that I was able to reach Colin, um, Colin said that Morgan had been taken back out of the bus because he had stopped breathing and they were attempting CPR on him, but none of the kids really knew how to do CPR. And he said, Miss Boisson, I have to say, I don't think that he's going to make it. Um, and right when he said that, and I felt so grateful that he had, I said, Colin put the phone up to his ear. And when he did, I said, we love you. We're proud of you and don't be afraid. And right when I did that, I felt this enormous hug coming around my back and just, it was just so beautiful. And it felt like, it felt like everything in the whole wide world was going to be okay. I felt like enormous love. It felt like even more love than what Morgan was sending me. It was just the most incredible thing. And my husband was sitting beside me in the office and he said, let me speak to him. And I said, honey, I'm sorry. I think he's gone. And he couldn't believe it because I was so calm. I was feeling so calm because I knew exactly where Morgan is and was. And it was, it was, it was this immediate download of he's still right here. Love lives forever. He'll be with me forever. And I had no fear. That was, I mean, it was just like all of a sudden, any fear that that I may have had about transitioning to the other side or any of my loved ones transitioning to the other side just was gone. In fact, whenever someone in our family or our pets that we love so much um, transitions, we all feel very jealous <laughs> that they're going to get to see Morgan before we do. 
<laughs> which sounds terrible, but, um, but I, I truly believe that our lives here are much more difficult than the lives of all of our loved ones in spirit. They're, they've got it easy and they are, again, happy, healthy, and whole. Exactly. A couple of thoughts. First of all, thank you for sharing that. I'm tearing up listening to it and I've heard it before, but every time I hear it, I just think it's one of those stories that it makes you the extraordinary woman that you are, mm-hmm. that you were able to process that. I know when you're talking about that and the fact that you were calm and you had a knowing, you were in alignment with your spirit. And our, we're all spirits attached to a body having a human experience. And when we're in alignment with our spirit, we feel either neutral or good. We feel calm or good. And when we feel any kind of emotion, not to negate grief, certainly grief is is something that you can't avoid, especially when you're losing a loved one. And I can't even imagine going through what you've gone through with Morgan and with Chelsea. But when we're out of alignment, we go into that fear mode. And the fact that you said I didn't have any fear is really right on point with that completely. The other thing is the way that I explain that spirits always around us and there are multiple realities happening at the same time. A couple of things I use. Number one, when it's a child, I'll say, do you remember the old fashioned emergency rooms? And some of them are still like that where they'd have a bunch of beds and they'd have a drape in between the beds. And when the doctor would come in, they'd pull the drape to get some privacy. Like you can't hear everything that's going on because you can, but some privacy. And that's how I explain when we lose somebody, we can, before we lose them, when they're in human form, we can see them sitting on the bed in the other pod that is right next to us. And then when they transition, the drape is pulled. So perhaps we can't see them visually, but they're still there. They're just in a different form. That's the first thing. The second thing is we have multiple realities that all happen at the same time. And as you know, I talk in analogies a lot because it gives our human minds a frame of reference for all this woo-woo stuff that we're talking about. And my frame of reference for multiple realities is think about what TV shows, what Netflix shows, what HBO shows, ESPN, sports, whatever, are on at 8 o'clock p.m. in your time zone, coming in through the satellite, coming in through cable, coming in through all those streamers that we have now. They're all happening at the same time. What we perceive is where we put our focus, whatever channel that we tune into is where our focus is. It doesn't mean that the other shows aren't happening at eight o'clock at the same time, even the streamers, because those are on demand, but you can bring them in at eight o'clock and multiple realities. I believe are like that. They're all happening at the same time, which is how we can do past life things and find out information about past lives and get all this data that we can corroborate with historical documents online. Past lives are a blast. They're so much fun. But I think it helps us understand about these multiple realities. He's in the spirit world, which is a reality that's happening concurrently with our reality that we perceive it right now. 
in human form. So you just you just had it figured out early on before you got into all of this woo-woo stuff of all these people that you've met along the way with founding Helping Parents Heal. I think the other thing that's interesting, and I know that you've taught in universities, and I know you've spent quite a bit of time in France as well. How has that led you to where you are now? Certainly you're a teacher. Anybody that's listening to you can tell that. And certainly I know that from what you do. But how how do you see that your life's progression when you were in France? We know about India, but when you were in France and elsewhere. And then talk to us about when you taught at the university level and how that's helping you today. Well, that's a very good question. I I always have loved to teach. And when I was in the South of France teaching, it was such a wonderful experience, except for the fact that the students there don't necessarily have the desks, the space, the, um, the class size that they need. I was teaching a lot of classes with 80 students and they really only had seating for 40, for instance. Um, but it was it was a wonderful um, way to this was probably fairly early on in my teaching career, going back to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and speaking French uh, or teaching French was a was a really wonderful thing to do. I think that being able to teach a foreign language to university students is almost like being able to tell about a belief system that might not actually be something that a lot of people are familiar with. I really, my French teaching was purely practical. I like to teach French so that kids could get along in a foreign country. I feel like it's almost the same thing with teaching parents how to navigate um, the this new world that we're in that's actually almost as exciting as France. And, you know, it's funny because um, I have friends who are shining light parents who truly believe that having their son or daughter pass is almost like a gift because we learn so much more after something like this has happened. We're forced to learn so much more. But not only that, we get all these signs. We get all of these wonderful messages from our kids in spirit. And we know that they're all together and that they're having a blast. And I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Collateral Beauty with Will Smith, but we went as a group to see that. And I truly believe that there is a lot of collateral beauty that comes in um, when something like this happens. And I also think that we may lose a lot of friends in the beginning, friends and family, just because of the fact that they feel so sad for us. And they think that by not talking about our kids or staying away, we're going to forget that we ever had them, which really isn't the case. Obviously we all know that, but we, we start having this new friend group of enlightened people who are just amazing like you and like all of these wonderful people that I've been able to meet along the way. And it doesn't, 
we don't have to be physically meeting them. I think that this past year has shown that even with Zoom, it's possible to forge friendships and to be able to be close to people throughout the world, not just here in the States, not just in our little town where we live in, but all over. And um, when you were talking about that separation in the hospital, the curtain that separates, I like to think about the separation that exists between me and Morgan or between me and all of these kids like a sheet of wax paper, because it's that thin. It's just not there. It's, it's something that um, they, they can participate in anything that they want to. And that's another thing that's really important to understand. We are sad and it's okay for us to grieve. And we, you know, being sad is a normal thing, but they're never sad. There's no way for them to be sad over there. Even if we are grieving, we can grieve as long as we want to, and it's never going to affect them. But in, in the end, they'd love for us to, at some point, start feeling happy because that makes them happy, but they see the big picture. They see everything that's supposed to happen. And so they don't worry at all about us. There, there's nothing to worry about once they're over there. So for me, one of the scariest things when Morgan transitioned was that I was imagining him because it took like 13 hours from the time that he got started getting the migraines until the time that he transitioned all of that time thinking over and over again, Oh, my parents are going to be so sad. I'm leaving this earth. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That's not what was happening. I love what Dr. Mary Neal talks about that. She had this kayak accident. She's an orthopedic surgeon. She sees herself being sucked out of the kayak. Her knees go back the wrong way. And she's thinking, Oh, that doesn't look so good, but she wasn't worried at all. She had her son's uh, she had her husband, who she loves, all of them, but she was so ready to go. She wasn't thinking at all. She knew in the bigger picture that they were going to be fine. And I think that that's what's really important for us to understand that they love us so much, but at the same time, they also know when they are going home that that is the place that they're supposed to be going and that they can help us just as much and even more from over there. I hear that a lot. And my understanding over all these years of working with, gosh, thousands and thousands of families who've lost a loved one is I've come to the conclusion and I've gotten this validated by spirit is we all decide when we go, where we go, how we go, who's with us when I, when we go and what those circumstances are that surround our transition. And you're right. I hear often from spirit because we talk to spirit all the time. I do with private clients most of the time where they'll say, okay, first of all, how are you? Well, they're all fabulous. I mean, they're all in heaven. It's nirvana. It's like the old movie, all dogs go to heaven, all people go to heaven too. And the other thing that's fun is they'll they'll say, it's so much better now because I can be with you way more than I could when we were when I was alive. Because I can be with you at any time. The other thing I think that's important to remember too is that our heads are big satellite dishes 
and they receive and they transmit frequencies. And in order to get in touch with anybody who's deceased or alive for that matter, it doesn't matter. It's just getting in touch with their spirit. All you have to do is think of them. And I know you think of Morgan. He's there immediately. He immediately comes in. He's around you at times as well. And I'm sure Chelsea is, is too, where you'll be doing something random like folding the laundry or fixing dinner or whatever, going for a walk. And they'll come into your head all of a sudden for no apparent reason. That's them letting you know that they're with you as well. And to your point earlier, you talked about how I say we're all made in the image and likeness of God and God is spirit. God is, it's all energy. Everything's made of energy. And as such, if people believe God and energy can be everywhere all at the same time, when we're made in the image and likeness of God, I don't think it means that God looks like some old man sitting on a cloud in a throne with a white beard and long white hair and a white robe. I always say like Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings movies or Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies, but rather God is spirit and we are all made in the image and likeness of God in spirit form, whatever you understand God to be. So I love that Morgan tells you that he's with you all the time and with you more now and can advise you more now than he could when he was alive. Oh, it's a wonderful feeling. And I feel, I feel really grateful for that. But I also, um, I feel the kids all the time too. I, I can't sleep in in the morning because they push me out of bed and they want me to get to the computer and write about their angel dates and their birthdays. And I feel it so strongly. I, I can feel that they're all ready to have me do this, which makes me so grateful to be of service to the kids. And I, I must say that in the beginning, when Helping Parents Heal started, it's called Helping Parents Heal. It should be called Helping Children in Spirit Heal, because I really in the very beginning um, was wanting to be able to do all of the things that I was doing so that the kids felt good about the fact that their parents were healing. And um, now it's, now it's happening, which is really wonderful, but um, it's, it, it's hard not to smile and you smile all the time too, but it's hard not to smile when we know that there's more, but I also want to just put a little caveat on that. And that is that I always tell people that in spite of the fact that it's so wonderful over there and our kids are having a fabulous time, we have a reason to be here right now. And this again is still our school. We are supposed to be here. We have great things to do. It's going to be over in the blink of an eye, and then we will be back with our kids. But I know that you know what a life review is. I want to have the best life review possible. I want to be able to look back on what I've done since Morgan passed and feel proud um, that I was able to do those things. Most of us have busy lives and 
We know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. And I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals. B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals.com, and use Julie Ryan at checkout, and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. Well, that's a good transition into let's talk more about helping parents heal and how that all came about and tell everybody a little bit about the organization and and where all it's expanded. You obviously have been led. This is not something that you woke up one day before Morgan passed or even after Morgan passed and thought, hmm, I'm going to start this global organization and it's going to take on all these forms. I know you've been led every step of the way. So fill us in on what the journey, a little bit about what what you've experienced in the journey of forming Helping Parents Heal. How did it come about? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, about a week after Morgan transitioned, I was looking for other support groups and none of the support groups at the time would allow me to speak about Morgan in spirit and about the connection that I had. And all these things were happening at the time. So I finally and plus there were none up in Cave Creek. We're kind of far up in the mountains, not these mountains, but up in the mountains. And so um. A week later, I started the Facebook group and um, it was then called Parents United in Loss, which is not a very nice name because the kids are not lost and I I did not want to keep it that name. Um, But I met um, I met Mark Ireland not too long after, and he is the co-founder of Helping Parents Heal, and he was our first guest speaker. in January of that year, Morgan transitioned on the 20th of October of 2009. And so uh, we joined forces and created Helping Parents Heal. Uh, and it became a nonprofit. And at that point, we started having affiliate groups all over uh, the United States and then all over the world. So now we have over I think 130 in the United States, Canada, um, the UK, um, South Africa, India, uh, New Zealand, and Australia. And we also have other locations that are going to be opening soon throughout the world. Um, And those physical locations are great, but they've been kind of um, unnecessary during COVID because we do everything by Zoom, but we're starting to get back to in-person meetings. Um, Many of the meetings that we hold are at Unity Unity, um, Spiritual Centers, 
because they align with uh, the way that we think. And then we also have a group of 28 caring listeners and the caring listeners are free of charge. Um, they are all parents who have gone down the healing path a little bit further than um than others and they reach a hand back to be able to pull others forward and they are available all the time their phone numbers are on the website as well as their email addresses and completely free of charge um, so we have the caring listeners we also have a library now of about 230 youtube videos and we have specialists who speak to parents such as you um, talking about, uh, we, we have so many different things. We have uh, Shining Light parents who talk about their journey and they talk about the books that they have written. We have um, gallery readings by different, um, uh, we just had one with Mark Anthony just recently, John Holland, Maureen Hancock, and a whole bunch of others, including uh, Mavis Patilla over in London and um, Gordon Smith and, you know, people from all over the world, actually. Um, but we also have sound healing on those YouTube channels. So you can just turn on a, a sound healing with Andrea Curry or with Geraldine Glass and listen to the sound healing. We also have, um, let's see. Uh, near-death experiencers. So we have Raymond Moody who's spoken to us, uh, Dr. Raymond Moody, as well as Dr. Evan Alexander and um, Karen Newell. And then we also have um, Bill Guggenheim who's spoken to us several times. So we have all different topics about the afterlife and about ways to heal. And those are all available on the website we also have a tributes page for people to be able to enter their kids so that we can uh, celebrate them on their birthdays and angel dates. And we have a monthly newsletter letter that comes out that I um, that I publish and it has wonderful stories of validation. It talks about all of our affiliate groups and um and it also talks about upcoming speakers and things like that. So those are some of the um oh. And I, I, I am going to be remiss if I don't talk about our conferences. So we had a conference in uh, Scottsdale and Irene Vuvalidis is the director of our conference. And we had 500 parents uh, show up. It was completely sold out with 30 presenters. And it was amazing. Um, and Garth Brooks even recorded something for us for the dance. And it was just, everything was beautiful. Then we were supposed to go to Charleston to have another conference. And unfortunately that filled up completely 660 parents. And we had to call it off uh, because of coronavirus. But I'm so excited to say that we are now working on our second second conference and it's going to be at the Sheraton Wild Horse Pass uh, just past Phoenix and um, it'll be in August of 2022 and we don't have the exact date yet but if you all would like to attend please let us know it's going to be much bigger this time so we hopefully won't have to turn anyone away which will be good so um, that's one of the really great ways that we have 
raised awareness about helping parents heal. Last way is Craig McMahon did a beautiful movie called Life to Afterlife. Mom, can you hear me? It was the first of his uh, spirituality series. And lots of parents have been seeing that movie and have joined our group because of that. And I feel very grateful for that. And I feel grateful to Craig for choosing us to do a movie. (laughs) So those are some of the resources. In your spare time. Yeah, you get to sleep a little bit until the spirit children are knocking on your head going, okay, Elizabeth, you need to do this. You need to do that. And I know how dedicated you are and how much time you devote to all of this. It's been interesting. And I've been so blessed to be a guest at your your meetings three times already. So I'm honored and thrilled. And the feedback I get from your members is just tremendous about how much it comforts them the information, especially about what happens when somebody dies, how, you know, I have the 12 phases of transition, how we're surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones, and nobody dies alone ever. And I, my most favorite email that I've gotten from one of your members was from a mom. I don't remember where she was from, but she had a four-year-old little boy who passed. And she said, thank you for validating what my son kept telling me. She said, my son, as he was approaching death, kept saying, mommy, who are all these people? Can't you see all these people? And it was all the deceased loved ones that were in the room with them. And he could see them because most children, they haven't shut off their intuitive abilities. And she said, he just kept saying, mommy, mommy, can't you see these person? And she said, he was these people. And she said he was even describing some and she went on, she wrote me this big, long email that was so sweet. And she said, even to the point where I mentioned that people show up from many lifetimes and they'll be dressed in period dress. So there'll be somebody perhaps dressed in Renaissance garb and somebody else maybe in a 1960s miniskirt with go-go boots and stuff like that. And we can tell that it's it's spirits from all these different lifetimes. And they show up like that so that we can have a human frame of reference that they are from multiple periods in time. And she said that he was describing some of the outfits that would have been applicable to different different ages and different eras in, in human history. So that one really stuck with me. I'll, I'll normally get a whole lot of emails from your members and they've been very gracious and so wonderful. And I think of like you, how it's remarkable that you're all able to go on and go on with some joy to find joy again. Do you find compared to And I know you well enough to know that you don't compare anything to anything, but do you find that incorporating spirit and what happens in the spirit realm or in the spirit world, it helps the parents heal or helps anyone heal? I mean, this is not just a philosophy that only works if you've lost a child for heaven's sakes. I mean, we're all going to lose somebody close to us if we haven't already multiple times and we're all going to be there someday. But do you find that adding the spirituality adds a different component to the equation and really does help people heal easier, 
better, quicker, more completely and find joy in their lives again? Oh, definitely. Yes. I think that if, if you aren't able to know that your loved one is happy, healthy, and whole, um, you, you spend a very long time, um, crying because you think that they, in, and for some reason, in a lot of religions, they talk about the fact that they are asleep or that they are just gone. And that's not true. And so we love these people, these loved ones, whether it be a child or a brother, sister, or a mother or dad, we love them more than life itself. And to think that they are gone um, is, is a horrible thing. And I know for certain that they aren't gone. I know from everything that I've experienced that they are still right here. And it's not just my stories. I feel very fortunate that I get things from parents every single day telling me these incredible things that have happened to them. And so um, being able to be a part of that is so essential to me healing as well. And that's something that I think is really important for um, to also mention that all of these caring listeners, all of our affiliate leaders, even our board members have all realized that helping others helps us even more. And I'm sure you feel that way too. It's just, it's such a great feeling to be able to offer a hand and say, it's not going to be like this for the rest of your life. You can, you can crawl out of that place that you're in right now and feel happy again. And we have, and we promise you that it's possible for you to do so as well. So yes, the spirituality side is incredibly important to be able to allow people to move forward and heal. Well, and we're such a proof-based species, especially in the last 150 years or so, as we've gotten more well-educated. I believe that we've sacrificed some of the spirituality that we've known since the beginning of time. We all come in with the ability, with all the the telepathic communication ability and and the intuitive abilities. But as we've become more well-educated, we've started to veer off into believing that things aren't real unless there's proof. And I think that what you've been able to do in amassing these speakers that come in and talk to your parents is most of them have proof. I always say, I can't, I'm not that creative. I can't make this stuff up when things happen. And, and I'll, come up with if we're discussing something, let's say I'm working with a a client who has a deceased loved one, whether it be a child or someone else, and they'll say, can you ask them to send me a sign? I had one a couple days ago and I was speaking with a woman whose mother and sister had both died. And she said, can they send me a sign that they're around? And And we all get information. It comes in within a second. It's as fast as you can snap your finger, that spirit communicating. And so I said, what I'm getting is, is like a coffee cup ring on a table or on a tablecloth or something or a glass. You know, if you have a, perhaps a chilled beverage and you put it on a 
glass top table is going to leave a ring on the bottom. And I said, that's what they're showing me. And she started laughing, my client. And I thought, okay. And she's, she said, my mother used to always say that about my sister, the one who was deceased. Well, we can tell that Stacy's been here because there's a coffee cup ring on the countertop where she leaves, you know, we can always tell because she like leaves these coffee cup rings everywhere. And then she went on to tell me my client, she said, I'm making notes of our conversation on a legal pad. And there is a coffee cup ring on my legal pad from my coffee cup. And and it can be something that's just really simple like that. The other thing I was talking to someone this morning, a client and, and her deceased mom said, she said, can you send me a sign? And, and she lives in the northernmost part of Washington state on a peninsula. And I said, she's showing me pansies. And I said, do you grow pansies? Do you whatever? She said, oh, that was my mom's favorite flower. And I said, well, there you go. So I said, when you see pansies, it doesn't mean that they have to be growing in your garden or you need to see them in somebody else's garden or even in a, in a public landscaping area of town. It can be a pansy pin on somebody's lapel. It can be a picture of a pansy in a magazine, the picture of a pansy on the side of a van, pansies on I see pansies used in restaurants as decorative touches on salads a lot of the pansies are edible I said so be open to how you're going to see the pansies and I think when we get information like that from our deceased loved ones and it's so random like like a coffee cup ring or pansies in the middle of the summer pansies in the deep south here are, are winter flowers to yeah. me And then you see something like the coffee cup ring on your legal pad that you're writing on right now. That's proof. And then the stories are just endless of the, and I know you've heard many, many from your parents. I know I have one of your members who's a graduate of my angelic attendant training, where I teach people how to, how to do all this stuff, the medical intuitive stuff and the energy healing and communicating with deceased loved ones and pets and past lives and the whole nine yards. And she does this thing that I I forget what it's called. There's an acronym for it, but it's basically she plays a recorder, like an old fashioned tape recorder. And her son speaks on that tape recorder and she has the tape. Do you remember what that's it's called? Um, EVP? EVP, yes. Yeah, electronic yeah. voice phenomena. Yeah. Right, right. And I think that's something that I know I've talked to a couple of people that they get a lot of comfort from that, where the spirit will communicate on the electronics and it's on tape. Yeah. And she'll say, honey, mommy's here. And then he'll talk to her on this tape and she plays it back. So what are some of the other ways that your parents have experienced proof from their children that they're around 
Well, we have so many different ways that we help parents to uh, communicate. One of the things that I do very frequently is a yoga nidra practice, which is like a guided meditation, but it's um, uh, the yoga nidra is, uh, they call it yogic sleep. And so uh, being able to get in touch with our children without having to do anything, you're supposed to be completely still. Um, that's, That's one of the ways... We have studied Raymond Moody's um, mirror gazing and done exercises in front of mirrors with um, with lit candles. And that's something that we've, you know, obviously the EVP is another way. Hi, whoa, 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 whoa. Go back to the mirror with the candles. I haven't heard of that. What's that? What happens well, there? That existed since the ancient Greek time. And actually, um, you go into a room with a mirror in front of you and the lights are down low and you have a candle and you're staring into your eyes. And uh, very frequently, you can see the eyes in front of you transform into the loved one in spirit that you're hoping to communicate with. And um, Raymond Moody did quite quite a bit of this actually um, in the early years of his life. And um, it's fascinating, but there are so many ways to communicate with our kids and, you know, so many ways that they help us too. I was just going to let you know that Morgan has saved so many of his friends' lives. And one of them, for instance, um, and there's just no no denying this, is that his friend who was Wilbur Wildcat at U of A and Morgan was a cheerleader, um, uh, he ended up graduating from U of A. His name is Dan. He went to become a firefighter. And one of the first houses that he was fi- fighting a fire in, he and his buddy were... Um, pushing the car out of the garage and his buddy was inside the car. He was putting it into neutral and Dan was going to push the car. And all of a sudden he felt these arms around him and he was whooshed backwards. And the guy in the car said, dude, what was that? And this air conditioning unit fell right where Dan was standing. Dan knew it was Morgan because Morgan used to, they called him Big Bear because of his bear hugs. He could tell it was Morgan. He named his first son, Barrett Morgan, in in honor of Morgan. But that was a pretty incredible story. My daughter has also been saved by Morgan um, and this was in Paris and we might not have time for that, but it was also. An- we do go ahead and tell us. Well, she had gone to a new year's Eve party. She was at Sciences Po, which is a university over there studying. And she was with her cousin who's French and her cousin's boyfriend and her cousin's not very good at um, keeping up with Alix when she's out. Alix had taken a um, migraine medication before she went out and she had some champagne. And when she had the champagne, she got really woozy. So she went to Anne-Sophie and she said, I think I have to go home. Anne-Sophie said, go, go, that's fine. She was on the other side of town from where she lived. She had in a skimpy black dress, forgot to get her coat, forgot to get everything, um, her phone and everything at the, uh, the check when you come in, rushed out in the onto the street, saw a taxi, jumped into the back side of the taxi. The next street, she realized that she was in a taxi with someone she didn't know, the guy sitting there. 
And so she jumped back out. She had sleeveless black dress on. She looks up at the street sign, realizes that she didn't recognize where she was in Paris. And it started snowing. And my daughter is the worst with directions, completely bad with directions. And then the next thing that she remembers is she was being wakened up, shook awake by her two roommates saying, Alix, we're going to Portugal today. Get up, get up. We got to go to Portugal. And one of her roommates heard the door bang open at two in the morning. They are on the seventh floor of an apartment that is on the other side of Paris. And Alix was carried to her bed and fell asleep there. Alix knows it was Morgan who did it. And these kinds of things happen all the time. And my daughter, Alix, is so down to earth. She would never, ever have said that this happened unless it did. And, um, and her roommates were just, they were flabbergasted that, you know, she ended up in her bed like that. But these kinds of things make it so that it's impossible for me to not believe that everything that you talk about, everything that everyone else in the afterlife community talks about is true. And the most important thing about all of this is that it's not scary. It's all about love. Every single thing that anyone talks about in the afterlife community is all about love. And so if you're surrendering, finally surrendering to saying, okay, maybe I can believe that my child is healthy and happy and whole. You're not, you're not surrendering to something that's scary and it's going to be a bad thing. It's just surrendering to the fact that we're all here to help each other out. We're all here walking each other home. And that's what helping parents heal is about. And that's what having presenters like you, who is so, so loving and so caring is about as well. Well, thank you for that. It's my honor and privilege and hope I get asked back because it's so much fun (laughs) to come see your parents. few last words for parents who've lost a loved one and they haven't found your organization yet. Some words of encouragement for them. Like if you can, if you have an elevator speech, what that is, and then how people can get in touch with you and find out more about your organization. And, and I think it's so important for all of us to know about it because invariably we're going to come across somebody who's going to be helped by you. And I think it's also important to note that it's not just people who lose children that are minors. It, I've met people through your organization who lost children that were in their 60s. And I'm talking to their 80 something year old parents. It's still devastating, regardless of the age of the child. So a few parting words of wisdom for those that are suffering the loss of a child and, and then also how to get in touch with you. Well, definitely. I would love to be able to do that. And I want to say that any type of child loss, and it's not really loss for us, it's more transition, but is devastating. And we we certainly also um, love to have siblings join us. We have a special helping siblings heal group. We have a special helping fathers heal group too, because they heal differently than, um, than moms do. Um, We are um, 
always open. I, I, I mean, myself, I, I'm going to leave you with my phone number. I get phone calls all the time. I spend most of my day on the phone because I talk to new members. And, you know, I realize that sometimes um, parents are not in the right place at the right time to be able to understand or, um, or want to move forward with um, letting go of some of the um, traditions and beliefs that have made you scared in the past and that's okay. But what I would say is that you should possibly either join us right away or maybe join us down the line, but kind of keep watching the videos, keep um, being a part of it. I, I just feel so grateful that it's the kids who bring all of the parents to us. Oh, by the way, and also grandparents are welcome to join too. And, um, and I also plan on, we plan on holding these Zoom meetings forever. So we're hoping that you'll be coming back to speak to us. We were very fortunate to have Dr. Christopher Kerr speak to us through you, and he's going to be coming back to speak in the fall. Um, there are just some of the most amazing people. Rob Schwartz is speaking next week on, on Thursday. And I always love to hear what he has to say about soul plans. And so, um, Anyway, thank you so much for having me here. Um, the website is www.helpingparentsheal.org. Uh, and um, we also have many Facebook sites. So Helping Parents Heal is the main one. Then we have Helping Parents Heal UK and all of those other ones. We also have a Twitter account, an Instagram account, and um, a newsletter that comes out. So all of those things are free of, free of charge too. <laughs> and I'll put all of this in the show notes too. Thank you for taking time to join us and, and letting all of our listeners know, all of my listeners know about the amazing work you're doing. I consider you to be an earth angel and I am honored and humbled to have you be a part of my life. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Julie. I feel very, very honored to be on this show and, and for all of the work that you've done. Thank you as well. I, I just, um, it's, it's so wonderful to be able to be in the presence of someone who first of all gets it, but is also so devoted to wanting to help others heal, which you do. And thank you. You bet. All right, everybody. Sending you love from Sweet Home, Alabama and Arizona, the two A states, right? And I'll be zapping on her wrist. So she'll be in good shape here shortly. I told her this surgery is going to be a breeze because it's already happened energetically. So it's going to be good. All right, everybody. Have a good week. Be back next week. Take care. Bye. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com.
This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.